Happy New Year, flock, and welcome to the Book of John, the podcast companion to all my writings. And now, please turn in your books to chapter 35. Nights in the Valley, the saga of 10 degrees hotter. Oh, there you are. What was I talking about before? Well, whatever. Fuck it. Just got back from the Bay Area visiting my good friend Jim. Seeing as today is his birthday and he and I were in two sketch comedy groups together, it seemed the right time to resume my personal history with sketch comedy. Don't know how many of you are fans of Glenn Danzig, but he famously led three different bands. The Misfits, Sam Hain, and Danzig. And yes, I know the correct pronunciation is Sawin, but that's how he pronounced it. The Misfits was his punk band in the 70s. Sam Hain was a goth rock band he started in the early 80s, which, after a few years, morphed into the band Danzig. The Misfits for dumb fun, all about kitsch and old horror movies. Sam Hain was a little different, the same sort of gleeful faux evil, but going whole hog into the Grand Guignol theatricality, kind of like Alice Cooper done like a low-budget horror movie. Everything was turned up to 11, it was all about murder and devil worship and whatever else they thought might piss parents off. Then came Danzig, which was the most musically solid of the three groups, hitting an interesting mix of blues, rock, and goth with a healthy dash of rockabilly and was the most professional and successful of the three. So what does Glenn Danzig have to do with me being in comedy groups? Almost nothing, except that I was in three different sketch comedy groups over the course of about 15 years, and my trail through them always reminds me of the Danzig trifecta, starting off young and dumb in a group full of likewise young-slash-dumb friends, later moving into a more focused but obscure footnote of a group, to finally landing in a semi-professional sketch comedy group. Except, unlike Danzig, none of these groups ever made a dime, except the last one, and earning that paycheck finally broke us up for good. But that third group is another story for another time, kiddies. Today we're going to focus on that obscure middle group, the Sam Hain of my metaphor, a group that existed for less than a year, known in its brief existence as 10 Degrees Hotter, Comedy in the Valley. A brief pause while I state that this whole narrative is from my singular point of view, and I wasn't a main figure in the story, as will become clear. So I'm telling the story from faded memory of stuff I wasn't even experiencing firsthand, with most of my speculation verified this last weekend by Jim. Other folks will almost certainly have different interpretations of how things went down. This, thankfully, isn't a crash and burn story, so I don't think anybody would take offense at my telling of it, but just want to be clear, this is only my memory of the time. You may remember a few weeks back I took you on the journey of the University of Arizona's Comedy Corner, my first sketch comedy group, my misfits, as it were. Comedy Corner had a number of alumni that went on to work in entertainment in a variety of ways. Many went on to become stand-up comics, a few went on to write for television and movies, a few went on to become actors. Then there was a quartet of them, Jim among them, most of whom graduated the year before I entered the group, who moved to Chicago to form their own sketch comedy group. They went by a variety of names, starting off as Comedy Corner, then later changing their name to the Ministers of Pain, that latter name getting them a lot of flack from people who thought they were showing up to a heavy metal concert. They finally settled on Fancy Ketchup, and I have to spend a little time on them because the saga of 10 Degrees Hotter begins with Fancy Ketchup. Fancy Ketchup spent four years in Chicago building their name, and the group went through several iterations, but always with the four original players. After those four years, they decided Chicago had given them about as much as it was apt to, and they moved to Los Angeles where the real action was. They performed in L.A. for a number of years while also doing various other writing and acting work. Their show evolved a bit, becoming Fancy Ketchup and Friends, foregoing the sketch stuff for more stand-up, and they started inviting other comedians to join them, performing at the Comedy Store and other notable L.A. spots. 
Here's where it gets a little muddy for me, but at this point, the four members of Fancy Catch-Up are getting busy with their own things. One member starts hosting game shows, another gets a regular spot on a Comedy Central show, and they generally start peeling off from one another. They never officially break up, per se, they kinda just stop doing shows together. They've been together for more than a decade at this point, and been through a lot of ups and downs, so it makes sense that they've maybe gotten a little sick of each other. And this is where I come into the story. I don't know what prompts it, but the members of Fancy Catch-Up decide to semi-reunite, but at least to my observation, they don't want to be beholden to the group. They want to come and go if necessary, which makes sense. They're getting individual gigs, so committing to a sketch comedy group would probably be more of a pain in the ass than helpful to their career. So they recruit a bunch of us Comedy Corner veterans now living in L.A. and throw us together under the new show title, 10 Degrees Hotter, Comedy in the Valley. For those of you who don't get the gag, we performed exclusively in the San Fernando Valley of L.A. County, the northern suburbs of Los Angeles, where being more inland and away from the ocean breeze tends to be about 10 degrees hotter than the rest of L.A. I'm excited to re-enter the comedy scene. It had been four or five years since I'd graduated college and left Comedy Corner and had missed the experience. As they say, I was just happy to be there. Basically, I'm the Forrest Gump of this story, just standing in the back, observing history as it flies by. The drill is much the same as when we were in Comedy Corner. We each write sketches, we rehearse them, put them on their feet, we choose the best of them, and put together an hour-long show. Being that the fancy catch-up boys are also operating comedians, the show is interspersed with sections of their stand-up, giving it an old-fashioned 70s SNL feel. And since we're only performing once every four to six weeks, we're not under the gun to come up with an hour of new material every week, and in fact can reuse our best sketches when we feel like it. We get the show together and start performing in a black box theater, whose name I forgot, but as Jim puts it, always felt like it was in danger of burning down. And so it went for a few months, putting up shows and coaxing people to come out and see us. The Catch-Up Boys get some up-and-coming comedians to host the show, and we're doing okay. The only real difference to me here is that when I was in Comedy Corner, the space was free and the slot was guaranteed. In 10 Degrees, we have to pay for the space in advance and try to make up the difference in ticket sales. Pay to play, they calls it. And the cost of renting the space is so high, you have to guarantee a minimum number of audience members to make your nut, with the rest going to props, costumes, etc. If we were doing real well, sometimes we would get a free meal out of the proceeds, but mostly we were either breaking even or having to pay out of pocket. Now, for those of us who weren't in fancy catch-up, it's understood that we're the secondary players in this group. The intent is to try and get this group on the LA comedy map, hopefully to get a regular crowd and showcase the main four. Which is fine by me, I like performing, but by this time I'm more focused on getting work as a writer. And I'm just having fun doing comedy with my friends, so if we were to break out, holy shit that would be great. So for me, writing and performing in a semi-monthly sketch comedy show is fun, and a great way to try out new stuff. And some of the stuff we did was genuinely some of the best I've been a part of. That was the joy of working with professional comedians rather than students, many of which were doing comedy as a lark before they went off to the real world. There was a higher bar, shit that worked fine in college wouldn't fly here. You couldn't just throw out a cuss word to rescue a flailing sketch. The writing was better, and the show, while rough around the edges, was more of a real show, if you can dig it. But almost as soon as we had gotten off the ground, there was tension, and I couldn't rightly say where it was coming from. It could be that whatever had driven Fancy Catch-Up apart originally very quickly got revisited, and using us supporting players to cushion it wasn't working as well as they'd hoped. It also could be just that comedians are the absolute worst people to produce a show of their own. This would be my strongest recommendation if you're a fledgling sketch comedy group. Get a producer. Make someone else deal with the rental contracts and the physical money and getting the props and the costumes and the person to run the lights and sound and the hundred other small details that go into even the most basic of stage shows. 
someone who doesn't have their head perpetually in the clouds because, let's face it, most people who do comedy are not tightly rooted to terra firma. When the comedians are responsible for all those details, shit tends to get lost very quickly, and that's when tempers start flaring. Not that I saw too much of tempers flaring, at least not more than I was used to when working with comedians. With comics and entertainers in general, people blow up quickly under the best of circumstances, especially when you're trying to produce a show. I'm terribly guilty of it myself. When I was in the producer's chair in Comedy Corner, and later when I would become the producer of that upcoming third group, I've said and done shit that I look at now and wonder how I let myself lose it so quick. The only defense I have is that comedians, especially us in those days, tended to deliberately make things harder. We'd hammer on each other, every mistake compounded by humiliation. Toxic, in other words. But luckily for me, I wasn't in that position with 10 degrees. Mostly, I just sat back and let other tempers flare, which, like I say, was more the usual comedian bullshit. This sketch sucks. Why are we doing this? Who's going to pay the fucking landlord? That kind of stuff. I remember seeing hints of something else going on between the catch-up guys, but glimpses were all I got. All I knew was there was an underlying tension in the group, and I was never part of the inner circle, so I never knew precisely where it came from. But there came a point not terribly far into our run when we were told that shit was about to get very serious. They were going to start inviting industry people to come check out the show, and so we were going to gear the show to showcase the fancy catch-up people even more. Us supporting players could get used to hanging backstage for most of the show, and if you wrote a sketch, you were to put the main cast in at first before you cast yourself. I got it then, and I get it now. They were the ones putting the show together so they could call the beat. I was fine with taking a back seat, and I think most of us were, but some feelings were hurt by it. We'd been convinced to join the group as equals, so being squeezed in the back when things were starting to get important seemed a bit douchey. But, douchey or no, the shot was called, and for a show or two, we were in the rear with the gear. And maybe the show could have continued that way. I think we could have gotten more time out of it even in that adjusted incarnation. But, as happens quite a bit in the entertainment biz, when fame and fortune are on the line, decisions got made that kind of broke the group for good. We had another show coming up, and this one was going to be the big one. Industry people were going to be in the audience, and it was being heavily promoted, whatever that meant. It was then that us once main cast members, now supporting cast members, got a call where we were told this next show was just for the main people. It had to go well, and they weren't leaving anything to chance. There would be other supporting cast members, but they were bringing in pros to do it. This couldn't be a fuck-off talent show with them and their college friends. This had to be for reals. We were expected to pimp the show and come sit in the audience, but that was the limit of our participation. Again, I got it. I was disappointed, but to be frank, the group tension had become so palpable that I was glad to be removed from it. I pimped the show, I sat in the audience like a good boy, I applauded, I laughed, I tried to help sell 10 Degrees Hotter as the new best thing in comedy. What's that you say? You'd never heard of 10 Degrees Hotter becoming the new best thing? Well, that could be because like 99% of everything in Hollywood, it just didn't happen. That's the way of things. You throw something at the wall, hopefully it sticks. Most times, it doesn't. They did a good show, it just wasn't what the industry was looking for at that moment. Far as I know, exactly nothing came out of that show, and by that point, the fancy catch-up boys remembered why they didn't work together anymore, so that became, to my knowledge at least, the last 10 Degrees Hotter show. Us supporting players wondered if maybe there was some way we could keep the rest of us together, but as it couldn't be under the umbrella of 10 Degrees Hotter, we'd have to start from scratch and none of us were volunteering to produce whatever that new thing might be. It had been fun to start a new comedy group, but it hadn't been that fun. However, 
there is a happy epilogue to this story. Many of us supporting players would soon team up again and form a group that would, to my mind, be funnier and a little less toxic than our previous efforts. Much like Sam Hain transforming into Danzig, Trouser Shock would rise from the ashes of 10 degrees hotter, producing a tighter, funnier show, culminating with us being paid actual money to appear on TV. But the hour is late and it's time to sleep, so that will be a tale told another night. Happy birthday, Jim. Hope y'all's new year has been delightful to you. You can reach me at the Book of John Podcast at gmail.com or you can go to the Book of John Podcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to fill out your tithes and offerings forms. We expect 10% of your gross income, not net. Gross. See you next time. Thank you.